0: Life can leave you feeling empty. Pastor Xavier Reese explains that's only because you're seeking the wrong thing. Easter Sunday was
1: characterized by an empty
0: woman, but she was filled.
1: (laughs) Everything got turned around because she was seeking the Lord. Too often we're weeping and we're over sorrow, but we're not seeking the Lord. We're seeking to get answers from counselors, from people, and why, why, why? And Jesus says, come to me, I'll fill you.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Ever noticed how our lives are spent constantly filling things? We fill our cars with gasoline so they can run, our bodies with food for sustenance, and our minds for knowledge. All this serves to meet some needs in our lives. Well, in the same manner, God wants to fill us up spiritually. Today, Pastor Xavier fills us in on why God wants to fill us. Open your Bible to the Gospel of John chapter 20 as we get our fill of today's simple truth.
1: Easter Sunday was characterized by three things. First, the empty tomb, verse 1 through 10. Mary was the first to the tomb. She saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, And I would imagine a bit amazed. But she misunderstood the tomb. How often we misunderstand what God is doing in our life, what he allows, what takes place, and yet God is at work. Notice Mary ran to tell the two disciples in verse 2. She says, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. Peter and John inspected the empty tomb. John stooped. To look in, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. Now, Peter, he just boogied right on in. He saw the linen clothes lying there in verse 6 also. Now, the word for saw for Peter means to look closely, critically, in order to inspect. Now, the phrase there folded together means undisturbed, as if there was still a body. So, here you have the wrappings as if there's a body, the conclusion being that no one had stolen the body of Jesus. For no one could nor would they leave the wrappings in such a manner. What took place was a miracle, was evidence of the resurrection. Both did not perceive nor understand at this point the full meaning of the Scriptures. In the context, refers to what? the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They still did not understand it completely. Now, there are many things that God allows us to understand. But there are many more things that I do not understand, and I yet believe them. I do not understand how it is that God, who is holy beyond anything we can imagine and cannot tolerate sin, can allow a son to take my place pay the price for my sin, and not violate His holiness, and see me in the position of His Son. But I believe it. And yet in God's mercy, He allows me to understand many things. But it's just grace and mercy and the work of the Spirit, not my intellect. For Paul says to the Corinthians, if the world by wisdom could know God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now the outcome was that the two disciples went home in verse 10. (laughs) And yet God was at work. But they were unaware. Easter Sunday was characterized by an empty tomb. But secondly, notice that there was also the empty woman. Mary stands in contrast to the two disciples that went home by the word but. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. Mary stands in the sharp contrast. These guys go home, she stays. Mary stood outside the tomb, weeping, sobbing literally, as she stooped and looked in. Mary saw two angels in verse 12. Notice here one sat at the head, the other at the foot, where the body of the Lord laid. A beautiful fulfillment of the Old Testament. You remember the Ark of the Covenant? It was a box sort of about this size, like this square, and about that deep. And then there was a, what's called a mercy seat, a flat piece of wood, about like that, flat over it, with a, a ridge about that far, a little skirt around of gold. And then there was two cherubs, or, or two cherubs, one on each end, the cherubim, and their wings crossed, and in the middle of the glory of God appeared when the priest went in. Now, here everything in the Ark in the Old Testament, the Ark and everything else, pointed to the future fulfillment of Christ, spoke of Christ. Here you have the Ark of the Covenant, the priest enters in, the Shekinah glory appears between the cherubs, which looks straight down the middle. Here you have, she looks in, two angels, one at the head, one at the foot, and the glory of God's in the middle. What? Nobody. <laughs> Absolutely nobody. Fulfillment. The glory of God. But Notice Mary is mildly rebuked by the angels in verse 13. They address her with respect, woman. Jesus used that phrase for his mother, and at different times, the woman in adultery, woman, with respect. And they ask her, Why are you weeping? I can hear the Lord tell us many times, Why are you weeping? Why are you sobbing? Why are you acting as if they're dead? Why are you acting as if it's over? And we get so bound by our circumstances. We go into despair over a husband, a wife, a child, and rightly so because we're human. But because we're human, we must remember our need of God to entrust Him that circumstance, that situation. And that he is working. And how his work and the individual or the circumstance at hand is going to come together, I don't know, but I know that I trust God and let him work and that he cannot make mistakes. And I also realize that man's free will is active and things do happen that are tragic, disappointing, and heartbreaking. But within time, if I abide and I trust that God can turn my weeping into dancing, my sorrow into joy, my complaining into praise, time is a gift of God. Without time, there's no time to repent. Without time, you cannot go from hate to love. Without time... You cannot see God's hand. Time is a gift, a precious gift. She tells them that they, probably the Jews, had taken away her Lord and that she did not know where they had laid him. Later, the chief priests, as you know, in Matthew 28, 11 through 15, uh, had bribed the soldiers and, and uh, because, remember, they had been to the tomb and the earthquake happened, they were kind of shocked and and the Roman seal had been broken and they told him to spread the rumor that the disciples had come and stolen his body in the night and they would back them up so they wouldn't be put to death. So we see the enemy working already on the other end. Notice secondly here that in verse 14 through 15, Mary was blinded by her sorrow. So not only was uh, Mary consumed with her sorrow as you and I can be, Mary was blinded by her sorrow. See, if we remain there, then all of a sudden we become blinded by her sorrow. And it gets harder and harder to see God work, right? Or that God's in control. She turned and saw Jesus standing there, but she did know that it was Him. Verse 14. Jesus spoke to her, "Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking?" She was so consumed in her sorrow that she supposed that Jesus was the gardener. She began to declare to him that if he had carried him away to tell her where he had laid him and that she would take him away. Five times she uses the personal pronoun him in this verse, demonstrating her love for her Lord. Notice she was willing to carry his body herself, but she would be unable to do that. But she was willing You see, that's what happens when you're in love with Jesus is you know you're unable, but you're willing. (laughs) Notice she did not want to lose him again. So she clung to him by the feet in a worshipful manner. I mean, she just clung on to him probably, or the neck. I've lost you once, never, never again. And so Jesus tells her not to cling to him, for he, in fact, had not ascended to his father yet. Now... The reason was not that he could not be touched after the resurrection, for he tells Thomas, hey, feel my prince? Here's my side. Okay? Jesus tells her to go tell his brethren, the disciples, that he was ascending to his father and her father and to his God and her God. The new relationship had begun in effect. He was their brother and God was their father. Never did Jesus ever say our father. When he used it in that pattern prayer, it was a prayer to teach them how to pray. Jesus never prayed that prayer. He never used our father in conversation with him and his disciples or anybody else. It's always mine and yours, never our. The ascension of Jesus seems to have taken place between this account with Mary, and when Jesus appears to the 11 in the upper room or to the 10, because Thomas wasn't there. You say, well, didn't Jesus ascend in the Mount of Olives 40 days afterwards? Yes, but apparently he's saying here that he had to ascend. Remember he said to the man on the, on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So he went down three days. He was there in Hades or, or Sheol, uh, the bosom of the Father, And he preached to the captives. He scooped them up. And he opened the gates of heaven and transferred paradise. And so he ascends to the Father. He returns. He's with the disciples. And then he ascends before their eyes. Okay? This seems to be what took place. For he told that thief, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, his mission was not accomplished completely yet. I still have things to do, Mary. As if she could even hold him. <laughs> Mary was obedient to her commission verse 18. She told the disciples two things, that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken those words to her. Raised by an empty woman, but she was filled. <laughs> Everything got turned around because she was seeking the Lord. That's why. Too often we're weeping and we're over sorrow, but we're not seeking the Lord. We're seeking to understand what we're going through. We're seeking to figure it out. We're seeking to get answers from counselors, from people, and why, why, why? And Jesus says, Come to me. I'll fill you. But notice, thirdly, there was the empty disciples, verse 19 through 23. First, verse 19 through 20, the disciples were fearful in a room. Quite a sight, isn't it? The circumstance was not peaceful. Verse 19, the account was on the same day, Sunday, but at evening. The door was shut. The disciples were assembled due to their fear of the Jews. And the Lord Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. Now, the message to the seven churches is that he is standing in the midst of of the church and the churches. Jesus is always in the midst. Sometimes we act like if God's so far away, he's there in the midst all the time. Always. The proclamation was, peace be with you. This is exactly what he had promised. The circumstances were altered. Notice verse 20. Jesus showed his hands and his side. They represented the payment for sin. The sins of the world, which provided peace with God, Romans 5 1, justification. This was the evidence. They represented his love for them as well as the world, a world that didn't want him. What an example to them now. An affirmation of what he said he would do, and here he's done it. Notice, secondly, in verse 21. The disciples were commissioned. Here they're in fear. Jesus didn't rebuke them. Jesus didn't say, oh, "I can't believe you guys, three and a half years. And by the way, where's, where's that doubter Thomas at? I knew he was going to wimp out nothing. Jesus proclaimed the peace that was to accompany them in their commission. For in verse 21, He commissions them. And Jesus said to them, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. The peace was his, not the peace of the world, as he has said in John 14, 27. It's a different type of peace. It's the peace that surpasses all understanding, Philippians 4, 6-8. It's that peace that comes from him. Jesus was sending them out as the Father has sent him. Now, notice the word sent in reference to Jesus is in the Greek, indicating delegated authority with an enduring aspect. He was sent. His mission was over. Now he has last, final touches with enduring effect. The word send in reference to the disciples is a different Greek word, which indicates one dispatched under authority and is in the present tense a continuing activity. The mission of Jesus, accomplished. Our mission, continues, which is the extension of the ministry of Jesus. Now notice thirdly in verse 22 and 23, Jesus here sees the lack of capacity and ability of the disciples in their own flesh, and the disciples were equipped to preach the gospel, the word of God. Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit. The act was at the same time of their commission. Notice he says, and when he has said this, he breathed. The act was a command. He didn't say, would you guys like the Holy Spirit? Can I talk you into he says, receive a command. And now here you have Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit upon the new work, the nucleus of his new church. This experience was not merely symbolic and should not be explained away in such a manner. Many do. They say, Well, you just said that, but it doesn't. No, no. It's a literal command. It's a literal event that's happening, okay? The event was a real reception of the Holy Spirit into their lives at this point, at this time. You say, well, how do you reconcile that with Pentecost, Xavier? I do and I don't. They received the Holy Spirit here, these 10 disciples. I don't understand the extent of it or exactly what took place because nothing's explained. But let's look at some things that may help us understand. In the Old Testament, people were empowered by the Spirit for a set time, for a set work, and then the Spirit left them priests, prophets, kings, the people of the tabernacle. Now, all of a sudden, God is working, and now He endows them with His Spirit, different from before. In them. He shall be in you, with you, and then at Pentecost shall be a P, upon you. Okay? Here's the fulfillment. He shall be in you. And what you have in Pentecost is the upon, the a P experience, the three prepositions that you find consistently. When the day of Pentecost came, the church was birthed and empowered as a witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. But the key is the preposition that they would, the Holy Spirit would be in them and then it would come upon them. For he even tells them before he ascends to the Mount of Olives, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. Uh, Luke 24, 49. And that was after this. So we have to reconcile those things. Now, notice the authority of their proclamation was based on what Jesus had accomplished. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So, he has commissioned them. He has empowered them. And now he gives them the authority to proclaim the good news of sins being forgiven. The text in verse 23 is not teaching that the disciples in and of themselves had personal power to forgive any person's sins or to retain them or refuse them, such as the Catholic Church teaches this text to be for the priest. No man has that power. Only God can forgive sins. So it's not teaching that. The text is talking about the efficaciousness and sufficiency of the atonement for all the sins of mankind by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The good news to be proclaimed in order that whoever believes the message would be the recipient of salvation. And if they rejected the gospel, they would be the non-recipient of salvation. So in other words... I can tell you if you repent of your sins this morning and you believe Christ is your Savior and Lord and that He died in your place and you confess your sins, I can absolutely assure you that all of your sins will be forgiven and you will receive eternal life. But I can equally tell you with authority and assurance that if you reject it, you will die in your sins. That's what it's talking about. The text is teaching the right and authority of every and every person who is born again to confidently and lovingly assure any sinner that based on their their repentance of their sins, their sins are forgiven and they are justified in Jesus Christ and are new creatures. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You have that authority and right. I have it as a Christian. Everybody. There is no other name given under heaven and earth whereby we must be saved, Jesus Christ, Acts four twelve. One man between God and man, the mediator, Christ Jesus, uh, Timothy 2, 5. Easter Sunday was characterized by empty disciples, but they equally were filled. How each of us can see ourselves in this passage. Misunderstanding God as they misunderstood the tomb. We think God is doing this, but he's doing something else. We don't know why he's doing this. Why he allows it, but yet God's at work. How we can be like Mary, empty, because we are so overwhelmed by our sorrow, and then we become blinded by our sorrow so that we don't think God can work any longer. You know, we're ready to just throw in the towel and then how we can be like these disciples so fearful and so isolated that we're not out doing what God has called us to do and that is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Easter Sunday it was characterized by these three things the empty tomb which was misunderstood the empty woman who was overwhelmed with sorrow but comforted the empty disciples who were fearful but were commissioned to preach gospel man what simple basic lessons for my life as I look around and freak out and say what are you doing God or tragedy has happened to me or sorrow and disappointment and and it's been five or ten years and there I'm still weeping instead of moving on or that I'm so overwhelmed with fear that I, I I'm not doing the work of God I've got the door shut and I'm doing nothing. Man, may God speak to our hearts and use
0: us in the most simple way. God fills empty lives. Pastor Xavier, reminding us of the simple truth of how God fills us to use us for His service. Now, you may be interested to know that today's presentation can be heard again, anytime, by way of the radio listening's link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But if you prefer your own personal copy on CD, we can make one available for only $4 upon request. The title to ask for is, Jesus Fills Empty Lives. It includes everything you heard last time as well. In fact, there's even more content to the message than time allows us to present on the air. And having your own copy makes it convenient to share this message with others you know. So when you contact us, mention today's date or the title once again is Jesus Fills Empty Lives, and we'll get that right out to you. You can address your request to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, let us know the call letters of the station you hear us on. Tracking that information lets us know how to be most effective with our radio ministry. It's been said God uses cracked pots. Well, as a matter of fact, that's all He has. More on the next Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese.